the Gilda's maximum lawyers community of legal entrepreneurs who are taking their businesses and lives to the next level. As a Guild member, you'll build relationships, be held accountable, and learn strategies specifically designed to get you unstuck and accelerate your plan for growth. Members are also granted exclusive access to masterminds hosted around the country. Our next event is coming up, and we're heading to Scottsdale, Arizona. There's something truly magical about the power of these in-person connections where real-time breakthroughs happen. Picture this. You're surrounded by like-minded law firm owners tackling your business and mindset challenges together. The energy is electric, the insights are transformative, and the results are game-changing. Investing in yourself is the best decision you'll ever make. The knowledge, strategies, and breakthroughs you'll gain are priceless assets that will supercharge your practice and propel you forward. Join the Guild and secure your ticket to Scottsdale at the best possible price by visiting maxlawevents.com. Run your law firm the right way. This is the Maximum Lawyer Podcast. Your hosts, Jim Hacking and Tyson Mutrix. Let's partner up and maximize your firm. Welcome to the show. In today's episode, we're sharing a presentation from MaxLawCon 2020. That's right, our originally scheduled MaxLawCon 2020 speaker, Johnny Finch, presented live to the Maximum Lawyer Guild community. And today we share his talk on recovering from loss, what I know. Let's get to it. I do want to start with a story for you guys, a true story of mine about a month and a half ago. And just to let you know, guys, I'm talking all about mental health today. Mental health is the topic. So whatever I speak about, just focus on the mental health aspect. I was at a random bar. I was getting chicken wings at the local pub. I saw a friend of mine, well, not a friend of mine, a lawyer that I knew in the community. And we had 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 our first conversation. I ended up staying longer and speaking with him. We talked about court. Uh, We talked about the day-to-day. We talked about other lawyers, you know, just lawyer talking, everything that goes along. We went to, we ended up going to the same law school. He was about three years older than me. And at the end of the night, I had his number and I was like, Hey man, you know, if you're ever out, let me know. I don't mind coming out. Cause a lot of times I'm coming into town during seven, between seven and nine on Thursday. He was like, Thursday night is my night. And while I'm there, I can tell this is kind of his place because everybody that's coming up to him and speaking to him and say, Hey, how you doing? So, I leave that day thinking, you know, oh, man, I got a new friend that I can kind of call because I haven't been in this town as long. Fast forward to the next day, I get a call from a mutual friend of ours that I didn't know was a mutual friend. And he says, hey, Danny, how you doing? I was like, nothing else. I know it was a text message. He was like, call me. So I called him and he said, uh, hey, man, you know, the guy you were talking to last night, he was like, yeah, he was like, uh, he committed suicide. And I was like, what? He was like, the guy you were talking to last night? I was like, the guy I was talking to last night and I actually didn't have his name. I, I, I wasn't sure about his name, but I knew I had talked to him for an hour, 15 minutes and everything. He was like, yeah, they just found out. I was like, no, nah, that, that's not the case. There's no way that, that is the case. And shortly after that, because he had been in this town a long time, I started getting text after text after text. There was another friend of mine that was with us that night. Uh, and I know him very well. So I called him and I was like, hey, because he stayed longer than I stayed. I was like, hey, you know, what's going on? He's like, man, I do not know. I do not know. Turns out it was true. And obviously that was a shocker because I'm having a conversation with someone that is so, so normal, so normal, so lawyer normal, I should say. So lawyer normal, you know, 
He was in good spirits. Nothing that, no indicators to me that within eight hours that this gentleman wouldn't be here anymore. And so that led us to the mental health aspect and um, just being aware of, about why we're talking about this today. That's exactly why we're talking about this today, okay? So that is the first little segment. And I'm going into the second segment. And when I do segments, I do it like this, guys. It's one, two, three, four. So I'm going to try to keep you focused. At any time you guys hit the gavel, let me know and just say, Johnny, go back. I will go back to the first. So the first segment is why we're here is because that was an issue for me. Because like-minded people in this profession, I don't feel like we should be doing things like that. Now, I didn't know a lot about this gentleman or a lot about his background, but it just, you know, my thought was, was it the profession? I didn't, I didn't know him before the profession, but was it something about what we do that led his mental health to take him to a spot where he felt like, you know, that was the course that he needed to take. And obviously with the work that we do and the amount of people that we help, we would hope that the stresses in our, that come along with it won't take us to that spot. And so while we're here and I am attempting to help you guys today, this is a great help for me because obviously speaking about this, in which, I, which we don't get to talk about our problems a lot or talk about issues that we have a lot because we are always listening, is therapeutic for me and we'll talk more about that as well. So just a little bit more about me, part two. I am about to be 40 years old. I am, uh, law was my second career. I started around law school around 28 years old, finished around 31, started practicing around 32. So I've been practicing about seven years now. What I will say is before law practice, I never felt like I had stress problems. No, no doctor had ever told me, hey, Johnny, you have problems with stress, dealing with stress, or and I had never been diagnosed with any type of mental issue before law school. Now, then there's post-law school or in law school, I felt like was the first time I started dealing with stress. I will say, after I started practicing, I soon got married and had kids. So if we, what I can say about my wife and kids are personally, and this is what I know about mental health, they are a stress relief for me personally. My wife and kids are a time when I can kind of step away from everything. So they don't cause stress on my life. And then I have to look to the least common denominator, which would be the practice of law, which I actually love, but it comes with a lot of issues. So say so all this to say is all the stress that I've had or ever had to deal with have come from being in the profession. And so to that, I say, while I have no formal training, I have street training in the stresses that law practice can bring. And so I, if I say anything that is incorrect as far as mental health goes, I'm sorry. I am speaking from my own personal experiences. I do not mean to offend anybody in any way. As a matter of fact, if I say anything, please hit the chat and we can stop and we can have a conversation about it right now as opposed to you guys going saying that jerk Johnny was saying X, Y, Z. One thing I will say is that in law school, there was a certain type of anxiety that I may have felt actually trying to get past the test and pass the bar and do all of those things. And then when law practice 
actually started, I would say that was more of a stress because at that particular point in time, it was no longer about me. I think I could always kind of handle it. You know, if I didn't pass the test, then naturally I flunk and then we just deal with the next thing. But once people's issues were outside of myself and to someone who empathizes big time, I had to learn or my body or my mental uh, capacities found a way to touch, to take all the stress that people were having and kind of put it on my back and, and walk with it and deal with it, which is a strength, but it's also a weakness because when do you get that off of your back? Is it off of your back when the case is over or do you kind of act like it's not there anymore? And through uh, what I'll tell you later on, when I was able to get some counseling, I was able to find that there were certain ways that I was dealing with the amount of stress that was on my back that was not the best way to deal with it. And it kind of put me in a crazy place. So recovering from a loss, uh, what I, what I know about that and what I did because I was given the topic, which was good. And I didn't think about it. I kind of looked up the definition because that's what we tend to do as lawyers. So what is a loss? A loss is a fact or process of losing and recovering, returning to a normal state of health, mind, or strength. And that is tricky because if we're recovering and we're returning to a normal state, a normal state, which normal state is that is for Johnny? Is that the state before the normal state I was at before I started law school? Or is that the normal state now as I practice law? Right. And I have given up on the dream of returning back to the normal, normal state of before law practice. And so when I deal with the normal state, I say, right here where I am right now, as far as the amount of stress that I deal with. So I say part two and segment two, because while we're talking about incurring a loss at some point, when we have to deal with that loss, it's plus the stress level that you already have. So there's the stress level here of law practice that you're automatically going to have. I believe they said 74% of people have these stresses that they deal with. And so if something traumatic happens, uh, you lose a family member or any, any, anything that could be extra, you have to deal with all that. And you have to recover from that loss and get back to the normal state, which would normally be stress anyway. So I think part two was just letting you know, when I say get back to normal, I mean normal abilities and able to that puts you in a place to be able to help your clients effectively help your family and be healthy at the same time while you deal with all of the issues that you go through. Generally what I do, if I'm looking to find a model for success is I look personally to athletes because at, with athletes, you can see the beginning and the end. Most of the time you can see when an athlete is, you know, their training uh, rituals, you can see them in the game, you can see their stats from year to year, you can see how many championships they got. If something happened traumatic, you see after that period where they still able to, to maintain the level of superiority that they had before. And it's also exciting at the same time. Of course, it's 2020 and a, we had a athletic community took a major loss this year that was one of Mr. Kobe Bryant. And 
man, I tell you, that shook me up. And I and I think it shook many people up who weren't even big sports fans just because he was just the staple. Even if you didn't hear his name or even if you didn't watch him play, you just always heard his name, you know, Kobe Bryant this, Kobe Bryant this, you know, no matter what you thought about him, you knew who he was. And it was just a, such a sad story because he was a young man, such a young man. Well, what I want to focus on in Kobe's career right now was, and just a little background, if you don't know who Kobe Bryant is, he was a phenom basketball athlete. At 17, 18 years old, he was drafted to the NBA. He was leading the league in scoring. He won five championships. But what I want to key in today is after 17 years in the league, Kobe Bryant had a traumatic experience and what I would consider a loss. And so what I want to do is just take a bird's eye view, or not a bird's eye view, but a, a lawyer's eye view into how he dealt with that and see if we can compare that and bring it into the lawyer field just a little bit. So I am going to try for the first time in my career, my legal career, to try to share a screen, and I hope that it works. So as you can see, Mr. Kobe Bryant, he goes down and he's grabbing his ankle. And again, this is 17 years into the league. At this particular point in time, he would say he was playing some of his best ball. Keep in mind that professional athletes and basketball players, their lifespan is generally between seven to 10 years, maybe at best. I mean, your superior athletes, they'll go 12 to 13 years. Don't quote me. I think Jordan may have went about 11 or 12 years, and he's, he's thought to be one of the best players of all time. But Kobe, is a, he was playing very, very good this game against the Golden State Warriors. And on a play where he kind of just falls, as you can see, he's kind of limping off. And you can see how tough he is. After he tears his Achilles, Mr. Kobe Bryant goes to the line and shoots his two free throws. Yeah, at this point, his Achilles is gone. I mean, this is an incredible moment. Um, just to let you know how much he persevered. And at this point, I'm not a doctor, but I know something is wrong. Kobe knows something is wrong. You can see, I don't know if at this point it's the actual physical pain that he feels or it's just the mental anguish because he's very, Kobe Bryant is very self-aware. He knows that something is not right. I mean, I've seen this gentleman break his finger, go to the sidelines, and the trainer will just pull his finger out. He'd go back into the game. I've seen him take punches. I've seen him take elbows, but it's, you can tell that something is going on. So 17 years into Kobe Bryant's career, he gets this massive injury, and it is Achilles tear. And that night, if you follow his career, you will know that he's always been a very stoic guy. He was never the guy to give a lot to the fans as far as what he was really thinking or his pain or his happiness. Now, if he won, you may see that, but whenever he lost the game, he would go to the podium and he would give really, really, really short answers. But at this time, Kobe Bryant, for the first time, I would say the first time in his career, actually gave us himself in a Facebook post that he made. And I'm not going to read the whole thing. I'm just going to read a little bit to you guys because it shocked the world because Kobe Bryant was not the guy that would give you the edge enough to know what was going on. And this is what he said. The night after he tore his Achilles, this is such BS. All the training and sacrifice just flew out of the window with one step that I've done 
millions of times. Frustration is unbearable. The anger is rage. Why the hell did this happen? Makes no sense. Now I'm supposed to come back from this and be the same player or better at 35? How in the world am I supposed to do that? I have no clue. Do I have the consistent will to overcome this thing? Maybe I should break out the rocking chair and reminisce on the career that was. Maybe this is how the books end. Maybe Father Time has defeated me. Then again, maybe not. So the whole world was taken by storm by the injury, but then by his statements, because this was not something that Kobe would give us. But what we can say is at some point, he felt like he had to get this information out. Something about that Achilles injury was traumatic enough where Kobe felt like, I just can't take this anymore. I have to let everybody know. I, I need to let everybody know how I feel, and not only just the family member, but I'm going to put this out for the people to see on social media. Now, because the coronavirus has allowed us so much time to give me the opportunity to look up different things about trauma, I was able to find some information about Army veterans and what actually happens when they are at war and how they deal with it when they're at war, okay? I mean, the third box now, guys, just so you know, we have the first box, we have the second box, and then the third box. Right now, I'm talking about trauma and how people deal with trauma or a loss. And what I found was that after military veterans come back from war, if they do not talk about what happened, even though they try to not discuss it, they say that it will drive them crazy. I've read, I have one statement here that says, you will literally drive yourself crazy not to think about it. Um, you will literally drive yourself down the path of mental illness. You've got to make this peace with your memory. You've got to separate the memory of that event with emotions associated with it. One of the techniques that's off, that is therapeutic is would be like grass fire. And so he just goes on to talk about how just being able to have a beer with a friend and discuss what was going on is therapeutic because if you don't get that release from talking about it, then you'll drive yourself crazy. All right. So what I am going to do now is come back to Mr. Kobe Bryant. And we just want to talk, we, we focused on him venting and what happened after that was he went and got a surgery. He went and got a surgery. Kobe was out of the NBA for a year and a half. And so after he had the surgery, he's training, of course, all the cameras are following him, and I'm going to share my screen for the last time, and I'm going to let you guys see a statement that Kobe made right before he came back. So he would be about 35 years old now. They asked him, how do you feel about the surgery? Kobe said, you know, I've never had a year and a half off of basketball before. I feel refreshed. I feel like if I get on that court, I should be able to do my thing because I've never been able to reset like this. He said, I'm going to control what I can control. He said, there have been situations in my life that were much more serious than this, much more serious, and I was able to overcome. So I think in the scale of things throughout my whole career, I think my work speaks for itself. Also, a thing that he did was he said, hey, listen, this is not about me being old and washed up because I was playing at my highest level before I got the injury. So if I come back and I can't play well, it's not because I'm old. It's just because I don't deserve to be here. So he took the excuses away from him and he wasn't afraid to fail. He said, the last thing he said is 
all right, guys, I guess we'll just see. One big thing that I definitely am going to focus on is the time. But before I jump to that, I want to talk about one advantage that Kobe had over lawyers. Now I'm jumping back into the second box again. When Kobe tore his Achilles, he went to a surgeon, and the surgeon gave him a particular regimen training that he had to do. And I'm sure he followed that regimen and did everything he was supposed to do over that year and a half along with his training. Now, as lawyers, when we suffer a loss, we don't have an Achilles to go to the surgeon to repair. We have to do our own self-analysis or awareness and be aware of what's going on with ourselves because it's not a direct injury. So we go back and I'll give you a personal example from myself. Three years into my practice, I started my own firm in my hometown of Elizabeth City, North Carolina. About two and a half years after that, I was presented with the opportunity to go and work on a contract with a, a big entity in North Carolina. So, and at the same time, my wife was having our second baby and it seemed like it would it was a good idea. And I think ultimately it was a good idea to go. But what I ended up doing was leaving my practice, even though I still had the first office in moving to a, another town about an hour and 45 minutes away. So I was working on that contract and I wasn't doing as much work as I was doing in my hometown. Well, two years into that contract with five days notice, the entity lets me know that they're no longer going to offer the contract and that I'm no longer going to be paid anymore on the contract. So on the first day, let me know on the fifth, you're not getting a check and you won't get another check. And for all intents and purposes, I, I was counting on that check and that contract for like the next year and a half. So I went from thinking that I was going to get a check on the fifth to not being able to get that check on the contract for another year and a half. So at this point, I have two offices that I'm running. I have an attorney that's working for me and I have two to three staff and I also have a family and all the other things that we deal with at the time. So I, I would consider this somewhat of an Achilles tear. And so how did I deal with it? At first I was very, very, very quiet about the matter. I was kind of shocked. I realized that whatever process that was going to take place, if the entity was going to have to pay me some money later on, that wasn't going to help me pay my bills or the firm bills in the next couple of days. And there were some other things that were going on at the same time that were big. So what I did, what Johnny did, I was like, man, I can't handle all this. I was able to get in contact with the counselor and I started going to counseling because I was like, man, this is just, I don't know what I need to do, but I need to talk to somebody about this because it was a new territory. And I, and that was the whole crazy thing about it when it was happening with the stress on my back and what we've been using, it felt just like another thing, but I was like, I know this is big, but the way that I'm interpreting this information, it doesn't feel like it is as big as what it, I know it is. And at the same time, of course, clients still have their problems and you still have to talk to them. So I went and I talked to a counselor and the first thing that we did, well, for the first five, six sessions is, as I spoke to him, we just talked, I just talked to him. That's all I did. I just talked, talked, talked. He didn't really say too much to me at all. Now that I think about it, I think he just sat there and that was kind of interesting, but 
that was the rant, I guess, that I needed, that I didn't know that I needed, that Kobe gave to us through Facebook, that the military gentleman talks about, that you just have to get it out. And that's not normal. Um, that's not normal culturally for me. I don't know, as, as a man, if we feel comfortable talking about our feelings. I, for one, just didn't, I didn't see what it would help. Normally, I mean, to speak out and talk about what's going on with myself, unless that person was able to fiscally help me, I didn't see what the purpose would serve. But through talking with him, I knew every time I left, I felt better. I don't know if he gave me any solutions, but I, I felt better about the situation. So at this particular point in time, after about five or six sessions, I'm speaking with a gentleman, and he starts to share a little bit with me about himself. And this gentleman, you know, I said that I never had any issues before, man. He, he'd been through the storm. You know, he'd been through the storm, and he shared with me some things. that I was like, oh, man, you know, I might be okay. <laughs> I actually might be okay because, you know, things that you were telling me that you recover from mentally, I feel like I'm pretty self-aware. And he was like, Johnny, well, you, you know, you're really self-aware, but you need to watch out for these triggers. You have certain triggers that let you know that you're not dealing with stress. And so what I'll do now is I'll just kind of open everybody up to what I know as my personal triggers. And the reason why we need to know what our mental health triggers are is because if we're seeing these signs, that means that we're dealing with our stress the wrong way. And if we continue to do that, what will happen is you'll lock up. And for some people, what that means is you'll wake up in the morning and you won't be able to move. That's never happened to me. But what happens to me is I go into complete autopilot, meaning that I may go one to two to three months on autopilot where I'm not physically or I may be physically present, but I'm not mentally present, meaning I'm speaking with people and I am they think that I'm there. I'm talking with judges. I'm talking with clients. I'm signing paperwork. I'm drafting motions. And then when I go back later and look at the work I've done, I be like, what the hell is this? Like, it'll, it may be a form, a simple form that I'm filling out where with the county, my name, the address, and then a checkbox. But for some reason, when I was filling that out on auto mode, it was not correct. And that's not even, that's not even legal work. That's, filling out forms because I'm on autopilot. So I have to watch these certain triggers that I have to let me know if I'm not dealing with stress the correct manner. And I learned this in counseling through having conversations with this gentleman. And these are my stress indicators. One is I have an alarm that I set for 530 every day. If every day I'm still getting up an hour to an hour and a half after I set my alarm when I went in bed, that means that I am craving sleep and I don't want to, I'm not excited about my day and I just want to stay in bed. So that lets me know, not the first day, because sometimes you're just tired. Sometimes you're just tired. But if every day I'm craving not starting my day, and craving is probably not the right word, but if, I, if I'm in a situation where I want to stay in bed longer, that's one indicator. My second indicator is if my assistant calls me and says that I have a consult. Now, consults for lawyers are the ways that we make our money, so we want consults. And I'm like, oh, man, I got a consult today. If I'm not looking forward to that, if I'm not looking forward to calling and speaking with my client, if at the end of the day when I go home, 
I'm I don't want to talk to my wife, man. I love my wife to death, but what happens is the more stress that I deal with, the less I want to do anything at home. So at some point, I hope she never sees this, but I I would actually make my day longer in the evening so that when I got home, we could put the kids in the bathtub and then I could kind of go to bed and not have to worry about, you know, extra conversations. And that's not good at all. And I mean, who knows how long I was actually on this, this uh, autopilot that I'm telling you guys about, you know, any time where it was an issue where there was a social, social time, if I was having a beer, but I was drinking more than I normally would, I say on an average, I may, if I go out um, to get something to eat, maybe I'll have one drink. If I'm constantly having two or three, or if on Friday night, because Friday nights are, you know, lawyer time, that is a time when my kids go to bed at night and I'm just sitting out on the back porch. I am looking at YouTube and all of the wonderful things that all my lawyer friends are doing. And if I stay up to three o'clock in the morning drinking, I know that there's an issue because I should be in the bed around 12, 15 to one o'clock. Um, of course, after you do that, then there's the whole day that you, or the whole week that you have to pay for it because you hung over. But anyway, that is another one of my triggers. And I'm going through these just so you guys know that uh, this is kind of like my framework that I'm working through. And even today, while I'm speaking with you, I'm still working through my framework. So this is hopefully helpful for you, but also helpful for me. Do I have any questions? Uh, well, Will Norman just said, are you designing a training regime? He said a daily set of small improvements to get back in the game stronger than you left it. Yes, 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 <laughs> yes, 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 yes. Thanks, Will. Okay, I'm, I'm not going, I'm not going to steal the fourth box yet, but thank you, Will. I appreciate that. And I definitely, I definitely will get to that. Okay, so we get through the situation personally with the firm, the contract that I had, all the issues that I've had, and everything is feeling subnormal. I'm back in the gym a little bit more. I'm exercising a little bit more. I'm spending more time with my kids. So, so we're moving into the fourth and final box, and this is the one that involves everyone. What Kobe Bryant said, going back to the second box, was that he – had a year and a half off from basketball to completely rejuvenate his mind and his body and his spirit. We'll just put that in there. Well, we've all been blessed with the time now. If you're practicing law, there are certain things that the government has said that means that you have time now that you'll probably never have again. I know for one, I have until June 1st, we stopped court the middle, the middle of March. So the middle of March was when we had, um, when I found out that we would have some time off. And at, and at that day, like, the light went off. And so what I would say, guys, is with these step, steps that we talked about is we need to use this not year and a half, but this six to eight to nine to ten weeks unplanned to make sure that the, well, Kobe Bryant came back from basketball he had two or three or four years left. So he was in the fourth quarter of his career when he got hurt. Now, you may be a new lawyer, a newer lawyer like myself. I've been practicing seven years. Or you may be, you may be 15 or 20 years in the game. You may be in the second quarter, the third quarter, the fourth quarter. But what I would say is there's a time that we've been allotted right now to reset the course, and we probably will never get this time again. So 
the steps that Will was talking about that I have been taking since we have this time. And there are five of them. One, every day I sit down and I reevaluate my goals. I reevaluate what I'm doing and why I'm doing. Two, the first week I took an inventory of everything that I had. Took an inventory of everything that I had because during the course of law practice, we accumulate a lot of stuff and we get involved with a lot of things that we either can't finish or need to finish or just things that we need to throw away. So I went in the first week and I just took an inventory of what I had. I found a lot of cool toys, by the way, a lot of microphones and cameras that I didn't even remember that I had. But it's important that we take an inventory of our staff, of our systems at work, our office systems, how much we're spending for them. Excuse me. Thirdly, looking at your circle and your support group. One thing that my counselor always let me know, and one thing I kind of always knew was that I could tell what I was doing by who I was with most of the time. Like when I am online with you guys, you know, that is some of the best times that I have mentally because you guys are always encouraging each other. We're always encouraging each other. Like-minded individuals dealing with the same level of stress, not normal stress. So when I'm with you guys, I feel like I'm on target. So, you know, what, you know, who is my group? Who is my team going forward? And how do I make sure that I continue to cultivate those relationships and still at the same time reach back and have, uh, for me personally, I need at least two to three people that I'm helping that are either in law school or new lawyers, new or lawyers, to continue to be in communion with because while I am learning, I also want to put people in position where they don't have to worry about having those moments where they're on autopilot like I was at one point. Fourth, the discipline. Well, you talked about I'm back in the gym or my health is, my, my health is better. I'm spending more time with my kids. Obviously, I have the time to spend with my kids my spiritual devotions that I do, I'm making sure that I'm on those, trying to make sure that I can start, restart habits and, and, and be disciplined on them and making sure that what time I set my alarm for, I'm actually doing. I'm trying not to be in sweatpants every day, but at that point, at this point, I have not been able to do that because it feels like, obviously, it feels like a vacation. And, and I think fifth, the fifth thing that this time has allowed me and, and it should allow everybody really, really opportunity to dream again. Because when you don't have the clog of the next thing, the next thing is, okay, I have court tomorrow morning, and then I have to see clients, and then I have to pay bills. When you don't have that clog, it gives you the opportunity to say, hold up, you know, how do we take this information that we have and really, like, dream? Like, think about personally why I'm here, what I'm supposed to be doing, why I think that I'm here, why... Someone has put us here in this situation. And think about why, you know, from the loss that we may have incurred, when I, looking back over the loss that I took, which was more of a financial one than anything else, when I actually looked at it closely, I saw, like, during that time, we were able to do as a firm and as a team a lot of great things, a lot of great cases, and gain a lot of great experience. And then the question is, okay, based off that dream, I now have more time than I'll ever have to try to implement it. And as a lawyer, we are so systematic anyway that if we just take five hours out of our week, certainly it can push us towards that part. So that is 
recovering from a loss, what I know from a mental aspect. That's all I have, Becca. Hope you guys enjoyed it. All right. Well, thank you so much. No problem at all. Thanks for having me. Yes. Have a good rest of your day. You too. Bye-bye. Bye. Thanks for listening to the Maximum Lawyer Podcast. The Maximum Lawyer Podcast. To stay in contact with your hosts and to access more content, more content. go to MaximumLawyer.com. Maximum Have a great week and catch you next time.